The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with Fee Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Shamir Mehta, Mike Gibson, coming to you face-to-face here at ACC 2022. Obviously, Shamir led the complete trial, and he is here to give us some follow-up on the quality of life. Talk to us a little bit about what you found. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's good to be back. Uh, yeah, so at this meeting, we're presenting the quality of life analysis from the complete trial. Uh, 4,000 patients, 2,000 randomized to complete revascularization, 2,002 culprit lesion only revascularization. These are all STEMI patients with multivessel disease. Um, Somewhat of a younger population, Uh, the mean age was about 60. Um, And it's interesting because we had initiated the quality of life study at the outset of the trial, not really realizing that the Seattle Angina Questionnaire has not really been studied mm. in a STEMI population of patients. So we're mm. kind of embarking on completely new territory. And what we found was that at baseline, interestingly enough, although all patients had a STEMI and they had angiographically significant multivessel disease, only 50% had antecedent angina, hmm. which is very interesting before their plaque rupture. Um, so about 50% are walking around with multivessel disease completely asymptomatic. But what we found, um, we measured the SAQ at six months and three years, median of three years, up to five years. And complete revascularization improved uh, quality of life measures no matter which subscale you looked at. Now, it's interesting that the absolute difference, if you look at the mean score, is, is pretty small. And the reason I think that is, is because half the patients didn't have symptoms when you, at the outset. Um, so it's hard to beat that. Right. It's pretty, you can't make somebody feel better if they didn't have symptoms to start with. Um, but the interesting thing is when we looked at the proportion of patients that were angina-free at study end, there was a substantial difference. I see. Overall, there was about a 3% absolute difference. Uh, and if you focused on the people who had a tight non-culprit lesion, this was one of our pre-specified analyses, so 80% or more, that's where all the benefit was. So there was a significant interaction p-value the tighter lesions benefited from uh, complete revascularization in terms of angina status. Um, The other interesting thing about the analysis that we didn't realize was if a patient had an event through the course of the trial, let's say they had hospitalization for unstable angina, many of those patients would have a non-culprit lesion PCI. As per the protocol, the protocol allowed that. If you fail culprit lesion only strategy, you can have PCI to the non-culprit lesion. So that by study end, when they fill out the questionnaire, they may have, may have felt fine, even though they had uh, this angina-related event. So we looked at total angina burden. Mm. So when you look at total angina burden from randomization to follow-up, there is a substantial benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a 9% absolute reduction, wow. and it's highly significant. Wow, wow. Well, you know, we often think about, are we adding years to people's lives, but we forget that patients also want a lot of life added to those years. And, you know, we know from just regular ischemic heart disease that they're walking around with pain and they really want to get rid of that pain. So this was definitely a benefit in terms of quality of life, as well as some of the harder outcomes you looked at. Do you think this really kind of elevates the Seattle answer a questionnaire to a new level? I mean, should we be using it in our MI trials? 
We, we are using it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to be starting Complete 2 uh, later this year. So tell, yeah, what will be Complete 2 Complete 2, be? two uh, is trying to really hone down on which patients actually benefit from complete revascularization by evaluating a physiology-guided strategy. Mm -hmm. So can we focus on only those patients who have physiologically significant lesions? In this setting, we would cut down on the number of PCIs by about 50% mm -hmm. if we did that. Mm -hmm. And although it's been looked at in some small trials, it's never been evaluated in a major way. So we're, we're actually doing it in more than 5,000 patients. It's a wow. big global trial. Uh, and, and we're going to be randomizing patients to angiographically guided or physiology guided strategy, uh, looking at major cardiovascular outcomes and safety. Safety is an important outcome as well. Um, and we also will have a, a huge uh, intracoronary imaging That's study, uh, looking at optical coherence tomography um, to not only guide placement of the non-culprit lesion stent, but in my opinion, you know, the future is predicting events. So can we get to the point where we can characterize a plaque at the outset, the plaque composition, uh, and target that plaque using uh, AI or whatever uh, means that we have in real time. So this is not afterwards. In real time, when you're there in the cath lab, characterize the plaque and intervene on those plaques that we think are going to be causing future events. So we'll be looking at that in about 1,200 patients. I'm glad to hear that. You know, I, I think it's been a little bit of a checkered past for FFR in the setting of acute coronary syndromes mm -hmm. because the lesion may not be all that tight and you may not have any real hemodynamic compromise, but as you said, it's the content of the yep. plaque. And that's why I'm excited to hear that you're using the, the imaging. You may find some lesions, frankly, I'm interested to see what you say about this, that aren't all that hemodynamically significant in the non-culprit, but are quite significant in terms of, uh, you know, a plaque composition. Plaque composition. Yeah. Yeah, so will that guide treatment or will you just have to, you'd also have to have a tight lesion by We're getting to the point where it can guide treatment, but there are some gaps. Mm -hmm. We're not quite at the point where we can treat lesions in real time in the cath lab yet. We need to validate some of the measures, fibrous cap thickness, uh, lipid arc, mm -hmm. uh, and all of those parameters need to be validated strongly in a study with clinical outcomes. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the imaging studies is they've all been on a small scale. They haven't been large enough to really nail it, to really you know, uh, link these uh, plaque morphologic parameters with clinical outcomes. And mm -hmm. so that's what we hope to do. We hope to fill that bridge. And it's traditional OCT, traditional IVIS, it's not virtual histology, it's, or is it? No, it's not virtual, it'll oh, be traditional. Traditional, yeah. great. All right, well, I'm the old guy in the cath lab. <laughs> all the young guys keep teaching me all this new IVIS OCT stuff, and so I've become more of an imager, intracoronary imager, and it looks, looks like it's a good way to go. Congratulations again on what I think was a landmark study. Glad to hear you're doing complete two. That's gonna be exciting. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to all of you for joining us here face-to-face -face at home uh, from ACC 2022.